Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Happy Sunday, everyone. Those of you who were here last week know we're working through Martin Seligman's book on learned optimism. And so today we're moving forward. Just to catch any of you up that missed last week, though, last week we talked about what optimism really is compared to realism. A lot of time optimists get this idea that uh, that optimism is sort of shirking reality, so, that somehow an optimist will put aside what they know is to be true and, and actually strive for some uh, magical idea of what the world is, ignoring all facts and all common sense. And uh, what we discovered last week is almost the reverse in a way, that our brain is actually designed to hold on to the negative, that we notice things from a brain science standpoint. We notice things that are negative more likely, we're more likely to recall them, that really in a way we're wired to be pessimists. And so those things that we can do to look on the bright side are actually overcoming a natural bias towards pessimism. Well, today we're going to start working on the actual tools that we can use to become more optimistic, to begin seeing the world as a little bit lighter, actually to begin seeing the world more like it really is, rather than the, brain, the way our brain holds on to some of the negativity that we see. And I think a good place to start is, of course, another joke about optimism. <laughs> So on occasion of his 100th birthday on the planet, a news station interviewed a spry elder fellow. Among other things, the reporter asked about his physical fitness. Well, it isn't what it used to be, declared the old fellow. He said, I find my strength is failing. It used to be I'd get up every morning and I could walk around the whole block. Well, and now, said the reporter, well, lately... When I'm only just about halfway round, or maybe a little further than that, I feel so tired, I just have to turn around and come back home. <laughs> I'm so glad you got that. I was, te- I, was <laughs> I was telling it to my partner last night, and he goes, uh, well, where's the punchline? <laughs> so I'm so glad you got it. <laughs> So where to start with optimism? You know, I think before we even talk about optimism, I want to talk about what Martin uh, uh, Seligman talks about, this idea of explanatory style. Because it isn't what happens to us. The idea of optimism and pessimism isn't to deny what's going on in our lives. Bad things happen to, to everybody. Good things happen to everybody. And it isn't to deny the facts at all. What Martin says is important is how we explain it. That the difference between an optimist and a pessimist isn't the occurrences of things, but what we do with it, with our conclusions and with our explanations. So for example, he might say if, uh, let's say there's a big traffic uh, jam on the freeway, he would say that a pessimist would tend to personalize this a bit and explain it by something they did. They might say something like, you know, if only I would have left half an hour earlier, I would have avoided this whole thing. 
almost taking ownership for the traffic jam as though they had caused it. And they might tend to uh, notice or project that it happens a lot in their lives. I'm always in a traffic, uh, traffic jam. No matter where I go, I can find traffic in this town. It could be 10 o'clock at night and I'll be in a traffic jam. Have you ever been with someone who, who has taken a, you know, a fairly innocuous occurrence and gone on a little bit on the negative side of it and then even kind of played it up a bit? Uh, an optimist, on the other hand, same traffic jam, would tend to say something like, oh my gosh, how weird, this never happens to me. And that would be the end of it. Do you know what I mean? They would deny any ownership of it. They would deny that really they had anything to do with it and they'd be on to the next thing. Well, what he's saying is we can even begin measuring and working piece by piece on our thoughts of optimism and pessimism to have different results. And he talks about the three P's. So I want to go through the three P's with you here quickly. The first is permanence. He says one measure of your optimism and your pessimism is when something happens, how long, how permanent do you see that happening? So if it's something negative, let's say the traffic jam, and you say, this always happens to me. Sounds pretty permanent, doesn't it? That's the way we pessimists get our pessimism really going. Uh, an optimist, on the other hand, if it was something negative that happened, would just say, well, that's weird. This never happens to me, right? It's just a blip. And if something positive happened, an optimist is like to say, uh, let's say, uh, the reverse is true. And normally it takes a, a half an hour to get somewhere and traffic is perfect and you get there in 15 minutes. Have you ever done that? An optimist would say, oh yeah, I, I don't even know why I bother to leave so early. I always get places on time or before it even starts. They would be claiming it as though that were true for them always. And a pessimistic person who got there 15 minutes early would probably actually have something negative to say about that. <laughs> okay, so that's the idea of permanence. The next of the three Ps is pervasiveness. When things are pervasive, you will tend to talk about them as though they work across your entire life. So not only would you say that the traffic jam, oh, I always get in traffic jams, you might say something like that, something like, in fact, my whole life bunches up. Now that I think about it, it's true at the office too. It just seems like everything comes together at once and just jams my whole life up. So that's the idea of pervasiveness. When something good or something bad happens, you also apply it to other areas of your life. Where an optimist might say, if something good happened to them, oh yeah, uh, uh, I'm good with children. I'm good with, you know, I'm just a people person. I'm good with everybody. So it would be that idea of pervasiveness. The final of the P is personalness. Have you ever known someone who takes totally random things personally? Uh, you'll notice something that, that happens out in the world and they'll, the, it, it's as though the world revolves around them and was there for their inconvenience. Often, again, back to the, the freeway traffic jam, it, it would be like something like, this is gonna ruin my whole day. I wonder why this happened to me, right? As, as though there weren't the 500 other cars out there in the same traffic jam with the same experience. So Seligman 
hypothesis is that if we look at the three Ps in each one of our encounters and each of the things that happened and proactively, willfully, if you will, begin reducing the impact of the three Ps on negative situations and actually building them up a little bit in the situation of positive happenings that we can begin shifting literally our thinking from being a pessimist or someone that sees a lot of negativity in their life into being an optimist. And I wanted to give you uh, I wanted to give you an, a couple real-world examples of pessimism at work. I think we're all familiar with the first one, and I, I tend to think of it as a little bit like the drama queen, or, or the male version of it is the rageaholic. Uh, but I want to relate something to you that, that happened to me that I don't think is that unusual. So uh, my partner, uh, Daniel, and I, we were helping to clean out his, uh, a storage unit at his dance studio. And over the years, all the different dance instructors had just put all kinds of junk in there. And I was trying at least to help him uh, get out some of the recyclables stuff. There were broken down cardboard boxes and all kinds of junk in there that just needed to go recycling. And so one afternoon I, uh, I, I spent some time helping him do that. And I did notice, I will admit, I noticed that some of the stuff I put in recycling, there had been flattened down boxes of all kinds and shapes, and a few of them had Christmas wrap on them. And I thought, well, that's sort of weird, but they were flattened down, you know, like from Christmas's long past. Do you know what I mean? They did not look fresh in any sense of the word. Well, I got a call about three days later from one of the other dance instructors. I can't believe that you betrayed me in this way, she said. You must have known how precious those boxes were to me. I'm not sure that I can really have this relationship on you now that I know you might purposefully throw something away that's important to me. I sort of didn't know how to come back with that. <laughs> I was kind of stunned, and you know me, I'm seldom without something to say. Well, of course, I apologized, and you know, I said, oh my gosh, I, I had no idea, I, I mean, of course, I had no idea that, that, that they were important to you, and I almost made the mistake of saying, like, stuff like that should go to the reason. I mean, I, I was tempted to go there, but I went, well, no, obviously this meant something to her and I have to honor that. But do you see how the three Ps were at work here? She, in all innocence, I threw away something that probably everyone in this room said was ready for recycling. She personalized it. This was my stuff and you messed with me. Um, second of all, uh, it, it was pervasive, right? I don't know that we can still be friends that this happened. She was, she was playing that into our whole friendship, our, our, our whole ability to be together. And then the third piece of it, the, um, the duration of it, the length of it, right? Again, she was projecting into the future. Well, if this guy can't be trusted with my Christmas-wrapped boxes, obviously, maybe we can't be friends anymore. So, so a very innocent thing that happened, I think, and yet the ability of someone, by, by really emphasizing those three Ps, took it to kind of a pessimistic extreme. Okay, well now, for those of you who maybe know this person might say, well, she is a little bit of a drama queen, so maybe it wasn't entirely unexpected. But you know what? This do doesn't just happen to the drama queens or the, the rageaholics on the planet. And I was looking back at my own life, and I 
want to share something with you that, that I think will make a lot more sense. That just a, a regular, easygoing, even optimistic person can get on the wrong side of the three piece. So it happened about six years ago, and within about a six or eight month period, three people very important to me passed away. So the, the first one was a, a relative. The second one was my best friend on the whole planet. And, and, and the third one was someone that I know pretty well and was actually involved a little bit in her, her health care towards the end, a little bit of a, a care provider. And within about six or eight months, three people very important to me had passed away. And you know what? I personalized it. It's not that I thought that somehow I had caused their death, but I felt as though death were kind of hovering around me. I, I kind of felt the weight of that and, and personalized it in such a way that I was very aloof around my other friends. And, and, and if you would have asked me, well, Larry, you don't really believe that by hanging out with your friends, something bad's going to happen to them. I would have said, well, of course not. I don't believe that. And yet... There was the sense of that, the feeling of that. There was a somehow as though I had participated. I had absolutely personalized the, the death of these three people. The other thing that I recognize now in working through this material is that it also it felt permanent. It felt a permanence to me. I thought I was going to be sad until the end of time. I mean, other people in my life had passed away. I mentioned my mother who passed away close to 20 years ago, and there was a grieving period, and it felt right, and that kind of felt natural and and uh, although of course I still miss my mom the period of grieving itself you know had a, a start and a middle and a kind of an end to it and it was different with these three people that passed in such rapid succession there was a weight in me that felt it just would not go it didn't feel like there was a beginning and certainly not an end to it it just felt like part of what was in my life and I would have to admit, it was pervasive because I was applying it to other areas of my life, too. I was withdrawing a little bit. I wasn't being as gregarious at work. I wasn't being uh, uh, out with people as much. And in a way, I had felt a little bit like life had betrayed me. And so after a few months of feeling this way, uh, you know, as a somewhat smart people, I, I give myself some credit here, I went to see a counselor and uh, we worked through this. And it was interesting because although she didn't talk about the three Ps, that's sort of what the work was like. It was like, well, well, do you really think you had a hand in this? Do you think there's some kind of karma going on here? Or, you know, what are your thought processes around this? And we talked a good deal about what I believed had happened and why it felt so heavy and things like that. And you know what? She was convincing me, if you will, to minimize the three Ps. Not what happened, and not even my emotional take on it. No, quite the contrary. The grieving process is, is completely important. You know, we, we shouldn't shy away from our emotions at all. But it was back to those conclusions. It was back to how I explained it. It was me depersonalizing myself from what happened. Not from the people, not from the emotions, but, but somehow that causality. It was me decoupling myself from thinking this applied to other areas in my life or, or, or that it would persist, that, that the happiness uh, that I was so missing would be elusive and that I wouldn't regain that just complete joy of being with other people. And so little by little, we worked through 
decoupling those ideas from the facts. We worked on changing that explanation style from the negative side in the three Ps to a more positive outlook. So you can guess where I'm going with this. These are some tools that we can use with ourselves. Although, of course, I always recommend going to see practitioners and therapists and things like that when they're necessary. What I know is a lot of this we can also do on our own. So let us once more take a look at the three Ps with another example. What if, let's say, someone very close to you, um, a partner, a best friend, uh, a really close uh, uh, friend at work, someone like that, let's say you kind of had a blow-up fight with them one time, right? How do you look at that? Well, a pessimist, in looking at the three Ps, might say, I'm always fighting with folks, that idea of permanence. It seems, like, it seems like no matter who I'm with, we'll get into something eventually. That's the pervasiveness, right? It isn't just this one person. It's with everybody. And that ownership of it's me, right? Just it, totally ignoring the fact that it takes two people to have a good fight, right? It's like, no, I did, I did this thing. The optimist, on the other hand, is much more likely to simply say, oh my gosh, this fight happened. What a blip. Even say things like, uh, it's a good thing that our friendship is so strong because I know it will weather anything. They're apt to say, I can't believe that that happened. My gosh, all of my relationships are so strong, right? The pervasiveness on the positive side. Or they will, they will say something like, you know, maybe she and I, or maybe he and I, Ought to, ought to do some communication work together, right? So it's not just me, it's the two of us that could work on this issue. So when, and here's your homework in case you're wondering if you're going to get any homework this week. You know I love homework. <laughs> My suggestion would be find something that happens in your life this week, one thing positive and one thing negative, and see what you make up them. See what your explanatory style is. So next time you're uh, locked up on the freeway or next time you get a, an awkward exchange with someone or a rotten telephone call that happens or you know something negative that happens, how do you explain it? Do you take it personal? How pervasive do you think it is? Do you think it happens all the time and, and across your life? How permanent does it seem? Is it just a blip? Or does it seem like a trend to you? Then I would like you to have something positive that's happened in your life. Something, you know, something wonderful that happens at work or uh, one of your children uh, does something that's just so sweet. And then I would like you to evaluate your explanatory style for that. See if you can actually adjust them. See if through the process of, of looking at what's really going on, if you can begin shifting a little bit, downplaying the three Ps on the negative one, and even boosting a little bit the positive one. When you have a really sweet day, I always have sweet days. I'm a sweet guy. <laughs> Why wouldn't I have sweet days? And you know what? They're turning into sweet months, right? So begin actually building up the positive things that happened. Yeah, it happened because I am who I am. 
And the, the wonderful thing that happened is just one in a stream of many wonderful things that happened. And you know what? It goes across my whole life. So we begin playing up the three Ps on the positive side. And when negative things happen, we simply say to ourselves, oh my gosh, what a blip. I got to deal, you know, I got to deal with the mess. Um, but what I know is it wasn't just me. And bad things happen now and then. It's no big thing. We begin dealing with what needs to be dealt with, but we don't use it as a predictor. We don't set ourselves up for it happening again. <laughs> Why is this important, do you think? The reason that this is important, and it's right out of this sweet book, Seligman says that if we have uh, pessimistic thoughts, that our lives will begin becoming pessimistic. Meaning that literally, when we are looking for the negative, when we're predicting the negative, when we see the negative as something that emanates from us and, and pervasive across our lives, that we are setting ourselves up, our five senses, to hone in on the negative. And if Sharon and I have a, a loving, wonderful interaction, actually we did this morning, that was sweet, thank you. I'm apt to just blow it away, ignore it like it didn't happen. And then if, if instead I have kind of a negative uh, uh, interaction with someone, it's suddenly like I'm on full awareness and I begin personalizing it. I'm thinking that, oh my gosh, this is just kind of who I am. I'm not good with people. Do you see? And after a while, I will stop entirely hanging out with the people that I don't value anymore. And it isn't that I don't value love in my life, but when I don't see a thing anymore, when I'm filtering it out and focusing on one thing, it's as though the other things don't kind of exist anymore. And they, and they would feel like they didn't exist anymore and would kind of drift out of my life. And suddenly what I would observe is, I have good reason to be pessimistic because I have surrounded myself with negativity. So literally, my frame of mind collects to me through the power of my five senses, through my explanation of how things working, I start altering my life, literally, towards the positive or towards the negative. Seligman says, we really owe it to ourselves to move towards the positive. It isn't just an outlook on life, it becomes our life. I'm going to close my talk today with, uh, um, I was reading uh, actually the Science of Mind magazine and I read, ran across this quote of Ernest Holmes uh, that I just wanted to share with you and that's how I'll close and with a prayer. Ernest Holmes says, let us realize also that life is always for us and never against us. No matter how dreary the past may have been, the future is bright with hope and the present is a thing of joy. Life comes to us and we have new choices every single day. Let us pray. There is one power and one presence. There is one life and one love. There is an infinity of good in the universe. I know it is God and I also know that I'm part of it. I know that the, the goodness and the sweetness, that the love and the life, that the, the health, that, that all of God, all of that greatness of the universe, the infinity of good is here for me to enjoy and for me to love if I but notice it. 
And so on this day for myself and for each person in this room, I claim that ability to really look clearly at what's going on and choose perhaps to emphasize that which is positive, to, to have that vision of the future, that explanatory style that says, life is good, that I am good, my experience of life is good. This is what I know for this room of, of the blessed, that each person here has that capability of seeing the sweet, sweet side of life. And that as they see it, as they notice it, as they, they build up the, the pervasiveness of it, as they personalize it in their own life, as they see it as more permanent, that that, in fact, is how life responds. That each person here gets to witness a life filled with love, filled with joy, filled with that, that good stuff. And so I'm grateful for this. I'm grateful to be here in the power and presence of God as it takes the form of the beloved, as it takes the form of the people in this room. I simply let it be. And together we say, and so it is. So glad you're here today. So glad you're here today. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.us slash donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.